Hello listener, I'm Graham Kay and welcome to the first of two pre-launch episodes of this podcast. Before we begin, let's get some clerical stuff out of the way. You can subscribe to this podcast on Anchor, Pocket Casts, Radio Public and Spotify. Coming soon there'll be other providers such as Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. You can follow us on social media such as Facebook, Instagram and Twitter with the username Swedishized. All links will be in the description below this podcast. So, let's get on with things. As some of you may know, I've lived in Sweden since the autumn of 2000, and I've kind of split my time here in Sweden into two halves, being the first 10 years when I lived in Stockholm and the second 10 years that I've lived in Helsingborg. And during that time, I have noticed attitudes towards English changing a little in Sweden. Not among the general inhabitants, but among the media, in workplaces and in schools and stuff like that. The first 10 years, there seemed to be more and more English being used. I guess it was as the internet was becoming more and more popular. But the second half of my time here, i.e. the last 10 years, I've seen a tightening of guidelines and everything to do with English. There's less news being provided in English, such as Radio Sweden, for example, who used to have a 30-minute podcast every day featuring Swedish news in English. Now it's only a three-minute podcast every day. To newspapers that used to provide a version of their site in English featuring selected articles, not every article, but that has been diminished as well. And you can't really find any news in English by the main news providers, certainly not Helsingborg's Dagbladet, Dagens Nyheter, Aftenbladet, Expressen, and so on. You really have to find third-party providers such as Newsit and those kind of websites. So what has led to this, you may wonder? I'm going to share with you a podcast from 2010 by Radio Sweden, which describes how in 2009 a law was passed that made Swedish the official language of Sweden, which was something that had never been done before, thereby trying to protect Sweden as a language and to force courts and uh, scientists and what have you into using Swedish in their journals. This was also a problem in particular during the 2012 to 2016 era when a lot of new people moved to Sweden who naturally couldn't speak Swedish but the majority of them had English as a second language. So it was natural that they would communicate with each other and with Swedes in English which led to a clamping down of English in the workplace and in schools where Basically, a lot of places banned the speaking of English during work time and school time, only allowing it to be spoken during lunch breaks and break times when it's at schools. It's quite an interesting piece. And in total, the two pieces together give a somewhat of a good insight into why we're in the situation we're in today. Even though no one has officially said that there is a restriction on language, if you look at the situation that we're in today and taking into account what you're going to hear in the podcast, you can kind of draw your own conclusions as to why there is such a limited amount of information in English. Now, personally, I can speak Swedish, I can read Swedish and I consume 
news and information in Swedish. It isn't a problem for me. However, I do remember when I first moved to Sweden and how much in the dark I was. This was particularly bad as I moved, as I mentioned, in the autumn of 2000. And 53 weeks later, the uh, terror attack on New York occurred. 9-11 happened. I had been in Swedish school at that point for three weeks, so I couldn't really speak any Swedish at all. So I had absolutely no idea what was going on. The internet was still in its fairly much an infancy then, certainly when it came to the UK, so I couldn't get news and anything like that from the UK. Very basic BBC website, but when you have news that's uh, as big as that, you don't want to try and be updated just once a day. You really want to see what's going on all the time. It's with that in mind that I do wonder why they don't provide more information, not just in English, but in, say, two or three other of the main common languages that are spoken in Sweden. For example, Arabic, for example, French and Spanish. They, they Along with English, they're probably the four biggest languages not only in the world, but are spoken in Sweden as the second or main language. So it stands to, to make sense, in my opinion, that they would want to inform the people who live in Sweden, who perhaps can't understand Swedish, about things that are going on. But, hey, that's just me. But I think being informed and knowing the news and what's going on around you helps you integrate into the country that you're living in. But that's enough for, for me for the moment. This is Radio Sweden and the reporter is Brett Ascarelli, who still works for Radio Sweden today. I've spoken to her a couple of times and um, I hope you enjoy this segment from Radio Sweden. Jag missade min deadline och nu får jag dålig feedback från min boss. Ah, det är lame. Vad säger hon för något? Att jag kunde inte hitta en bra intervju och nu måste jag bli freelance. Um, and so just do it. What you're hearing is Svengelska. This is a word smushing together Svenska and Engelska, the Swedish words for Swedish and English. According to the Swedish Academy Dictionary, the first mention of Svengelska came in the 1960 publication of a monthly magazine. The writer said that Svengelska was sloppy and warned that it was catching on in the press. The worry was that readers and listeners would pick up the bad habit but pick it up they did. Fast forward 50 years, Svengelska is alive and well. You can hear it on the subways in Stockholm, young people speaking Swedish but tossing in the occasional Hollywood catchphrase, as in, I'll be back. Or, more frequently, English curse words. You can also find English in the papers. For every 300 words in a Swedish newspaper, one to three are written in English. That means you might have already stumbled across one if this radio feature had been published in a Swedish tidning. Oops, I mean newspaper. All this language blending is getting the better of us. As bits of English seep into the Swedish language, are the two languages happily commingling? Or does this signal a full-fledged English invasion, here to threaten the very existence of Swedish? We're standing in central Stockholm trying to figure out what Swedes have to say about it. What's your name? Yvonne. Are you worried at all that Swinglish could force people to speak English and not Swedish? No, 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 not at all. 
So I'm doing a feature about Svengelska, and I was wondering whether you think it's a problem. Definitely not. Why? Because we're living in a global world, I guess, and the world is just getting more global every day. So we should probably try to fit in that global world. Are you afraid at all that this that Swedish would disappear? Never, ever, no. Why not? Why should it? We invited Per Orka Lindblom to Broadcasting House here in Stockholm to weigh in on the matter. Per Orka is one of the chief members of something called Språkförsvaret, or the Defense of the Language Group here in Sweden. He and his group worry that if English is allowed to take too much hold of the language, then Swedish could suffer a domain loss. Domain loss is when a language gradually loses its power to describe certain areas of knowledge. When did you first notice this as a problem? I have always been interested uh, in languages. But back in uh, 1998, there was um, what we call uh, headmaster of uh, Södertals Högskola who said maybe we should um, deliver all courses in English. And then I was got angry. I was angry because it meant a complete loss of Swedish as a scientific language. Per Orka says that what's at stake with this issue is Sweden's connection to its culture and history. His group was instrumental in getting the Language Act law passed last year. This made Swedish the official language of Sweden, something that had actually never been legally stated before. It also set guidelines requiring courts, administrative authorities, and other public institutions to use Swedish. According to Per Orka, the act passed unanimously. But it still doesn't go far enough. For one thing, it's not enforceable. And now that the law is passed, is your work over? Absolutely not. The law is not strong enough. We have not written it. <laughs> it's, it's not strong enough. So we... First of all, we, we want to um, see to that that it is used and practiced all over. Uh, and secondly, we want to strengthen it in many respects. For example, the defense of the language complained when they found out that the Swedish foreign ministry has email addresses in English. They also gave the Nobel Prize Committee a thumbs down for providing only an English version of their website. The committee is largely based in Sweden. With Swedish, there's this risk of, of domain loss, but English words sort of pop into the Swedish language. Mm -hmm. And is one of these more worrying to you than the other? You have to make a um, hierarchy of uh, dangers. First of all, uh, what uh, official bodies and companies do is most important when they are using English in an unnecessary way. What private persons do is less important. For example, when I was a seaman, I said gate. All the seamen said gate when we were leaving the harbor. And I used some expressions like 50-50 and so on. Oh, I heard a TV reporter, he was commenting the match between Spain and some other team, and he he were going to translate the in, uh, Spanish word campion to Swedish, but he said champion, not Messler. So uh, he mixed it in, completely unnecessary. 
Probably because he, he reads so many uh, articles in English about football uh, and so on, I think. Uh, you take a um, deliberate uh, decision <laughs> when you're using a certain language and what expression you use. And what do you think about the fact that we're having this interview in English? No, it's your best language. <laughs> I'm just polite. <laughs> and will you say your name once more? Because I, I think it's best of each interview. Yeah, your pronunciation was not so good. Per Åke Lindblom. Now we're on our way to talk to Dr. Austin Dahl, the head of the linguistics department at Stockholm University. I'm, my name is Austin Dahl. His office is just, I mean, it's about bursting with books of all different colors that are lining the walls. They're overflowing from his desk. They, there's, there's written material almost everywhere that, that you see. Dr. Dahl's office was even used as the set for a TV movie about a book thief. He's collected these for over the last 30 years or so of working as a linguistics professor here. By the way, Dr. Dahl doesn't like the term Svengelska himself, because while English does have a widespread influence on Swedish, the bastardization hasn't become its own language. But he lets us get away with it through the interview. To start with that, the, uh, there are two very different things, and one is whether uh, Swedish will disappear in the end. Uh, or And the other, that, that is, if it's really threatened by English, that English will take over. And the other is whether, to what extent, Swedish is influenced by English. Uh, because uh, it, won't, it won't happen that Swedish somehow develops, morphs into English. Because that's not the normal way uh, languages disappear. It will disappear if uh, Swedish parents stop uh, talking uh, Swedish to their kids. Dr. Dahl says that the forces behind Svengelska belong to a universal phenomenon. When two languages are in contact, but there's a difference in their status, and one is more widely spoken, then people tend to borrow from the language of the higher status. Uh, and why people do this? For, for different reasons, I guess. One is that often they don't have words for various things in their own language. I mean, lots of phenomena that come cultural and technological and so on. Uh, things that come with the new invading culture or whatever. Uh, then, of course, well, you, you show off by using the other language. And, uh, and often you find, I think, that some word expresses better what you want to say or some expression. And, uh, well, this is often hard to judge what the real motives are because um, some kind of... I mean, combination of snobbery and real desire to express yourself. So this is tricky to, to describe why this happens, but it happens a lot. He says that the source of Svengelska is a mix of things. Academics come into contact with English all the time when reading journals. Sweden doesn't dub movies or TV shows, so everyone hears English, he says. And the better you know a language, the more you'll use it. For instance, it was said when, when the Harry Potter books came out, that many kids in Sweden couldn't wait for the Swedish translations to come along, so they just bought the English versions. So apparently they, they also read English a lot. Dr. Dahl tells us that the first English loanwords came to Sweden some thousand years ago, along with missionaries. That's when Swedish probably picked up the words for angel, engel, devil, javul, priest, prest, and school, skola. 
Then, between the First and Second World Wars, cultural influence through movies and music kickstarted another wave of English into the language. And that wave is going on to this day. We have had other periods of, of borrowing words from other languages which were actually more intensive, like in the Middle Ages when we got uh, a very large part of the Swedish vocabulary really from, from uh, Low German and later on from French and Latin. So these uh, really make up a much larger um, portion of the uh, Swedish vocabulary than the English words do. But English is here to stay. Dr. Dahl says it's gradually settling into Swedish, so much that people forget it's there. When I was young, they, people said uh, information in, in the plural. So uh, they said informationer, informations. And, uh, and now people have just stopped doing that. That word is just used in the singular. And I suspect that that's probably English influence, partly at least. Dr. Dahl says that the survival of Swedish depends on a lot of factors, like whether immigrants to Sweden already know English. If they do, they might be inclined to stick to English and not learn Swedish. But so far, this isn't usually the case. He doesn't think it's so likely that Swedish will be affected very seriously by English, outside of vocabulary and phraseology. Uh, and if you look at a Swedish text and try to count the English words, you will see that it's not really a large proportion. So I'm not sure Swedish would really change radically. It's perhaps more probable that uh, people will just switch to English. Uh, but that that is hard to tell because depends on the in, on the general situation. He mentions that speaking bits of a foreign language also has its hidden advantages. Usually it's easier to speak in your native language and it's it's people say it's usually easier to express your feelings. You may sometimes get the opposite effect because since uh, uh, the other language is kind of more neutral it may be even easier to to say things. Some people are embarrassed uh, using swear words and taboo words in general. Y usually people find it easier to do that in a foreign language because these words are not so loaded. So, and so you get that effect that, in fact, you can, some things are easier to do in, in a foreign language. The last stop on our journey to discover what politics lie at the heart of Svengelska is the Swedish Language Council. This is Sweden's official authority that tends and cultivates the language. They do research, advise on language policy, write style guides, and publish lexicons. When the public calls in with language questions, there are even about a dozen experts on hand to suggest the answers. And remember those Swedish newspapers peppered with English words? Well, the council collects them too, and adds them to new word lists, which they publish from time to time. Their website even has a place to submit a new word you've seen, or even invented. Here we are, finally standing outside of the offices of the Swedish Language Council on a quiet street in Stockholm's Södermalm, or South Island. We're going to meet with Ola Carlsson, one of the staff members. He's the webmaster, and he also takes care of language issues, especially when it comes to technology. Do do you here at the at the council consider Svengelska to be a threat of any kind, or how do you how do you treat it? That depends on what you mean by Swinglish. If if we speak about loan words, 
which is what uh, what is what people normally refer to as uh, swinglish that's not uh, a threat because almost all of, of the loan words are, are adapted into the Swedish system you know with uh, inflection and plural forms and uh, spelling and so on then they're not not a threat I think a, a bigger threat which is something you, you don't refer to as swinglish perhaps that often is uh, the loan the import of, of uh, writing rules style guide rules and obviously you know when you switch or are forced to switch completely into English uh, what we call domain losses you know, as we see more and more of in, in science and medicine uh, where all Swedish dissertations are, are, are written in English uh, like 99% of them so if there's a threat that that's the threat you know people point things at the loan words or loan translations what what really uh, annoys people we have um, direct translations like uh, have a nice day and we say ha en bra dag in Swedish that's not really a threat I mean it's perfectly normal Swedish to say that so it's a bit sad people don't see what really is a threat for Ola what's at stake with English isn't so much losing Swedish cultural heritage but ensuring democratic rights in Ola's words people have a right to get information in their mother tongue and now that the language law has gone into effect, authorities must also publish information in several of Sweden's minority languages. We're not the ones who, who decide what new words are d- adapted in, in, in Swedish and, and, and not what words are used in uh, lexicons and dictionaries. I mean, that's uh, people. <laughs> people who, who invent and use new words, uh, they will spread them and... and uh, if they're widely used, they will end up in, in dictionaries. We can only shape the words a bit more and, and give them um, you know, plural forms. And Sometimes we have to invent words because people really need a, a Swedish word for a specific concept uh, where a word is lacking. The English seem to cope with very vague and, and ambiguous expressions for specific concepts like empowerment. It's an expression that can mean just about anything, really. People call us and ask, how should I uh, translate empowerment into Swedish? And that, that's a good example where you have to um, put the focus on translation aside and, and say, uh, this could mean anything. Um, what do you want to express, really? And you shouldn't always focus on you know, how to translate and why people do that is often, I think that um, I think that the English language and the the English words are superior in some sense. And the Language Council also helps with questions about tailoring English words into the Swedish grammatical rules. In Swedish, every noun has either a common or neuter gender. So when Swedish adopts an English loan word like Game Boy, its gender must also be decided. Who actually decides? the rules for letting Swedish and English intermingle or limiting English or adopting it? Uh, No one, I would say. I mean, uh, our role and um, there's no really corresponding word in in English for our job and 
language nursing or language planning and uh, but the role of of uh, language planners if you if you will uh, in northern Europe I would say is not to regulate language use but rather to help uh, to help out when people have problems and people want to use Swedish words for instance where when that is lacking so we don't try to regulate language use and, and how to mix languages uh, so it's, it's really just when you have a right to use a specific language and you have a right uh, to write in your dissertation in Swedish, for instance, that's when you have to regulate language use. We look at a list of English expressions that the council has collected. Now they're trying to find good translations in Swedish, not always an easy task. For example, next to the English word for catwalk is one they suggest could be used instead. Podium. Uh, many Swedes think of Swedish as a poor language and English is as a, a rich language with many words and, and many synonyms and so on. And uh, it's not really a language that is poor or rich. It's <laughs> the people speaking that language that are non-creative or creative and, and uh, have an ability to use less or more words. So it's everyone's responsibility to invent new words when you like words for a concept and, and uh, to use all the words that exist. Swedish have you know, uh, loads and loads of, of words and old words that are not used anymore perhaps and, and loads of synonyms though they're rarely used and that's something we try to tell people you know that um, uh, Swedish is a rich language language but it's up to you. So, are we any further to figuring out what Svengelska really means for the fate of Swedish? It seems like there's some disagreement. Some point their fingers at loanwords, others at domain loss, and some don't point fingers at all. But at least we've opened the question. In part two of our feature about the changing Swedish language, we'll set aside politics and look at the lighter side of Svengelska and its cousin Swinglish. That was Brett Ascarelli for Radio Sweden. It's funny to think that that's 10 years old now and how things have changed in Sweden during that time. If any of you out there have also lived in Sweden for over 10 years, maybe you've noticed the differences too. Are they a good thing? Or are they a necessary evil in order to protect the Swedish language? Well, that's about all for this week. I'll continue beavering away, getting the podcast feeds up and running, preparing a website to accompany this podcast, and also working on the social media presences. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast if you'd like to hear more, and follow us on social media. All the links will be in the description below this podcast. Also, if you'd like to get in touch and pose any questions, any tips, solutions, you can write to me at podcast at grahamk.se. The link will also be in the description below. So until next time, take care of yourself and be good. Ta-ta.